You're listening to Tax Talk, a podcast series from the Irish Tax Institute, which explores the world of taxation and your finances. I'm your host, Samantha McCochran. Today, we're discussing taxpayers' rights, an issue which the European Commission has just launched a consultation on, and it comes as a balance between taxpayers' rights and the powers given to tax authorities for the collection of tax has become an issue of growing concern globally. So here to discuss the topic with me today are Albert Raedler, Policy Officer DG Taxud, who is leading the European Commission's initiative on taxpayers' rights and the simplification of tax rules and procedures. Kieran Toomey, Principal of Toomey Morin, Chartered Tax Advisor and Chair of the Institute's Taxpayers' Rights Working Group. And Nina Olson, the former US National Taxpayer Advocate, who retired in 2019 after 18 years in the role. And she's now Executive Director of the Centre for Taxpayers' Rights, a non-profit dedicated to promoting taxpayers' rights in the US and internationally. And I believe the Centre is about to open registration for its fifth international conference on taxpayer rights, which will be held online, of course, in late May. You're all very welcome here today. Albert, just to start with you, the European Commission consultation on taxpayers' rights has just been launched. What does it hope to achieve and, and how might taxpayers benefit from this? Well, uh, thank you very much. Albert Rayler from Brussels. I'm working for the European Commission and we are now launching, just launching the, the public consultation to improve the situation of taxpayers in Europe. And well, what do we want to, to achieve? Well, let me start a little bit wider and simply mention that for the last years, we have been very active to improve the exchange of information between tax administrations. The citizen was a little bit in the was left a little bit behind. We had some excellent reports on ways to tackle cross-border tax obstacles, which were published in 2016. But for various reasons, this had never been really followed up. So what we are trying to do now is we try to make citizens aware of their taxpayers' rights by a communication and in this communication, we want to map or we want to catalog to the citizen, to the person who is exercising his freedoms on what tax rights he has with the other member states. These are the landmark decisions from the Court of Justice of the European Union, just like the Schumacher decision, just like the Beal decision, just like the Lasterie de Sayon decision or the like. Here, the basic rights and at the same time, we try to take up issues which would make the life of taxpayers less burdensome, less costly, um, simply easier to cope with within the European Union. And Nina, you've already done something very interesting and you're well ahead of us um, on this. The US national taxpayer advocate role, is very, it's very admired in Europe for what you've done there. Tell us a bit about it and how it operates. Well, the Office of the Taxpayer Advocate was actually created in the 1970s as an administrative initiative. But over the years, Congress adopted it into the law. And in 1998, it strengthened it considerably. So it is a function within the IRS itself, the headed by the National Taxpayer Advocate, who is required to be someone who comes from outside the IRS and cannot for five years, once they leave, take a job within the IRS. And then there are there are advocates that report to the National Taxpayer Advocate. I think at this point they have 1,600 employees. When I first came in in 2001, we had 2,200. So things have shrunk since then. A big difference, yeah. 
But the goal is that they first take cases in to help taxpayers who have problems with the IRS that they haven't been able to resolve. And then the National Taxpayer Advocate is also authorized and required to make administrative recommendations to address those problems and also legislative recommendations, independent of Treasury, you know, directly to Congress through annual reports. And I think that the position itself really came up, and when you look at the legislative history, it really came up from the concern that there wasn't a voice of the taxpayer inside the agency, not just as cases were working along, but as the agency was developing initiatives. And so the advocate was really looked at, you're in the senior leadership, you know, you have, you know, you are appointed by the secretary of the treasury, so the commissioner can't fire you if he gets angry at you, but you're there at the table as initiatives come up. And in that way, you can say, but wait a minute, you know, how is this affecting the taxpayer? Or I have concerns about that. So they can be addressed before the agency actually causes the harm. So you've both got sort of the retroactive work in the individual cases where you're seeing some of the problems that are coming up because of the way the agency is implementing things or the way the law is designed. It may not be the agency at all. It's doing what the law tells it. On the other hand, you have the systemic work, which is both proactive and then also after the fact. So Karen, bringing an Irish perspective to this, like, why do we need to change the, the status quo? And, and, you know, would something like a taxpayer advocate or something similar be useful here? Thank you, Samantha. I, I, I think we've had the pleasure of Nina over with us over two years ago, and we listened and understood about the U.S. system. And I have to say, we, we look at the, the advocate role in the U.S. with some jealousy because I actually think it's a really good system. And, and that shouldn't be confused with me saying that we have problems with the Irish system. I actually think the revenue here do a very good job and the system does work. But every now and again, the system doesn't work and there's unfairnesses in the system. And, and we've ident- identified in as part of our work a couple of areas where the system just isn't good and it doesn't work. So, for example, revenue have no ability to be flexible when it comes to imposing an interest charge. Our interest rate is 8% or 10%. They have no flexibility when it comes to imposing penalties. They have no flexibility on certain time limits. And, and all of those things come up frequently and we're not for a second suggesting that people shouldn't pay interest or shouldn't have to pay a penalty but there are exceptional cases and where there's exceptional cases and I really emphasize exceptional cases the revenue don't have the ability to be flexible and there's no place that we can go to look for that flexibility so if we could bring Nina over to Ireland and set her up in Ireland we'd have a place that we could go so that's really where we are in Ireland, and, and, and the U.S. system is really good. And Anina, what changes did you see in the U.S.? I know it was there before you joined, but what changes did you see in the U.S. as a result of the, the advocate role? Did you see some more flexibility, case-by-case basis approach by the IRS? Tell me how it changed. Well, you know, I think that we actually made 
you know, we made a ton of legislative recommendations, but to date, 41 of my legislative recommendations were actually enacted into law, which is often pretty better than many members of Congress individually have. And they were all taxpayer protections that went to greater, both greater flexibility or greater protection. I think that the number, you know, one of the things that most people would recognize in our work, other than the individual cases where we tended to have about a 75% relief rate, which was, you know, really very high given that these were people who had compliance problems with the IRS, that we were able to get them relief in almost in three quarters of the cases. And over the years that I was there, we had four million in, you know, cases come in during that time. That gives you a size of what's the volume of works coming in. But the main, you know, one of the important things which is relevant to the commission's work is a the adoption of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. It was something I proposed, modeled on OECD years ago, and then it took a while for the IR. First, I recommended that Congress adopt it, and then I recommended when Congress wasn't doing it that that the IRS adopt it as a basically a policy statement, and then Congress actually codified it as a responsibility of the commissioner to ensure that his employees both adhere to and are trained in the rights in the Internal Revenue Code, all the specific little rights, and then these 10 foundational principles, which are enunciated now in the Internal Revenue Code. And, you know, we're still going through litigation about what exactly that means. You know, now that you've got it in the law, you know, you have the taxpayers have the right to be informed. Well, what happens if they aren't informed? And I think that's the work of the next two decades or something. But the fact that it's in there is very important. And I think this goes to what Albert was talking about, the communication, both communication for the IRS employees and communication for the taxpayers that, you know, having the right to an administ- you know, to an appeal or the right to pay no more than the correct amount of tax at least that alerts you to be able to say, wait a minute, don't I have the right to appeal here? And, you you know, the answer may be, no, you don't. But <laughs> in some instances, the answer will be, yes, you do. And here's what you need to do. And so taxpayers are empowered by this very simple statement of rights to ask that question, and then they will learn what their specific rights are in a given situation. And, and that's been pretty profound. That's had a, an amazing change based on surveys as far as U.S. taxpayers' understanding of their rights before the Taxpayer Bill of Rights and after. And Albert, would you think there's the potential for your recommendations to have an impact on compliance? Yeah, well, definitely, yeah, because we, well, um, if we... We, we, we first have to have, have to have our recommendation, which will take some time. We have certain ideas what we want to put into the recommendation, but we also want to have the, the voice from the citizens and to see which kind of problems do they have. Just to give you an example, um, we have the problem of double taxation of pensioners in the German-French region. And here the, there were many people residing in France and working in Germany who receive, receive German social security pensions. Now, what happened is that Germany never exercised their pension rights, the taxing rights for these pensions. In the meanwhile, they do so. And now the French resident has three declarations to submit. The first one, 
to receive the Schumacher benefits, the second one in Germany, the third one in France. And this is here an issue which is for a single market, very difficult to understand. Germany and France now rearranged their double taxation agreement. And now the French resident only submits one declaration with the French tax administration. The French tax administration pays then a compensation to Germany. There is only one stop shop, only one tax administration to deal with. And this is here a very good situation for the citizen who does only have to cope with one administration, but also for the tax administrations. There's much less work and the system is simply much easier to understand and to work with. So this can have a very strong impact. Of course, we're talking in this example of changing double taxation agreements, which is a very difficult issue to do, which is a very long-term objective. But if you do so, there is very strong appetite and there will be very strong benefits for the citizen, definitely. So simplicity, simplifying the process will be helpful, I presume. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Here, this is one example. The other example we have, we always run into is the refund of excess withholding taxes for dividend distributions of non-residents. Again, we have many complaints and here we try to have a system which is easier for the tax resident, for the investor investing in another member state. Simply give or simply apply a simplified procedure that the citizen does not pay more than he has to. And this is here, I think, very, very important for the citizens in the single market, definitely. And Kieran, during COVID-19, we have seen quite a lot of forbearance from the revenue commissioners. There's been several um, schemes to try and support individual and corporate taxpayers across the board. That level of flexibility, would you be hopeful that we might see some change as a result of that in the future? Or do you think it'll kind of go back to where we were pre-COVID? I think it'll go back to where we were pre-COVID. I mean, you know, these are extraordinary times. The revenue, I think, in Ireland have done a really good job in these COVID times. They've been charged with paying out money to people. The revenue are not in the business of paying out money. They're in the business of collecting money. They've had to get used to something very different. But I think they've done a really good job in the extraordinary times and they've had to move really quickly. I see great flexibility from the revenue at the moment. But I think when we get out of the COVID period, it'll be business as normal when we get back to normality. And I think that comes back then to... Revenue don't have the flexibility in a number of ways that I that we think the system should have. So that's why we think, I think the, the discussion on taxpayer rights, I think is really good. The proposal that Albert has mentioned, I think is really good. That is focused very much in a cross-border environment, as I understand it, Albert. We're looking at the system in Ireland and the system in terms of how it needs to deal with those circumstances on a case-by-case basis and have somebody who would have the flexibility, or not the flexibility, but the authority rather, to be able to look to impose something different than the rules say. Equally, Nina, I think this is what you were able to do as well in the US, is that when you see these problems within the system, that you can make recommendations or somebody can make recommendations into government to say that, look, 
this particular rule you have, it doesn't make sense. It's unfair in a lot of situations and you need to look to change the system. So it's about everybody working, in my mind, to try and change the system for the better because we don't have a bad system in Ireland. We actually have a pretty good system. We have a very high compliance rate in Ireland, but every now and again, the system doesn't work. And Nina, you know, not everybody likes change. In the early days, was there some resistance to the change or to, you know, just that additional oversight or ability to review or, you know, ability to review interest and penalties or the just the, just maybe sometimes questioning decisions that had been made before? Was there some resistance along the line to that? Well, I, I think there's still resistance today. I mean, nobody likes somebody coming in and saying, mm, you, did you think about this before you pushed start, you know? I think that what, sort of to what, you know, Kieran was saying, the acknowledgement that the agency does extraordinarily well in 99% of the time, and that what the taxpayer advocate sees is that 1%, and we, you know, when you have 160 million taxpayers and individual taxpayers in the United States and 10 million business taxpayers, 1% is not a, you know, trivial number. And so, you, you know, you, you're also identifying, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. We're seeing something. This may be broader than you think. I think that the benefit of the job and the, the function is that, you know, people were coming in before the taxpayer advocate service existed saying we've got a problem, but there wasn't anywhere that was actually capturing all of that in an organized fashion. So you, when you went to the agency as a practitioner and said, look, I'm seeing this a lot, you didn't have the data. And what the taxpayer advocate service has is one, its own data, its own case data, that mother load of 4 million cases or 250,000 a year that you can look at and say, look, there's something going wrong in this particular area. But the taxpayer advocate also has access to IRS data. So can go into the IRS systems and say, look at your own data, see what's going on here. And, and in that way, you sort of make a compelling case and you you know you're you're in some ways doing the agency's work for it but they're very busy and so you're sort of their conscience saying that and then you know they'll say well we don't have the resources to do that and you go well okay well I'm going to tell congress that I'm concerned about this and they'll you know they'll tell you to do it and so would you rather do it now or would you rather do it later would you rather look like a hero or would you rather look like you know the congress saying bad you for not doing it and, you know, those dynamics are long conversations that you have. You know, I, I also think, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, which is just the, and this sort of goes to what Albert's saying, the problem of administrative burden on taxpayers maybe trying to comply, but the burden is great. And it, unless you have some kind of mechanism that forces the agency to review what it's been doing, you know, it's really easy with the press of work for it to just continue on. And so I think that's another role that the taxpayer advocate or other groups, you know, external oversight auditors or whatever could have on the agency to say, look at your processes, you're creating undue burden. And I think a, a taxpayer bill of rights or a charter or a commission report can create criteria saying these things are undue burden and agency, you really need to examine your processes in light of this. 
So back to the um, European Commission consultation, Albert, how um, will the recommendations be drawn up uh, and what difference would these recommendations, if they're accepted, what difference will they have in practical terms for taxpayers in Ireland? Yeah, well, the, the recommendation um, will be, it's normally a, a rather brief act. Uh, there will be certain points. We do together direct taxes and indirect taxes. As I said before, we have got certain ideas, what we would like to, uh, to recommend. As, for example, we, we recommend to member states, again, to agree or to conclude double taxation agreements, in particular for the inheritance tax. Here, there's a huge big treaty gap. And once this network will fulfill, it will solve most of the common problems in, in cross-borders um, inheritances. Then the next uh, issue would be think about creating some kind of one-stop shops, as explained in the case for, for the French pensioners. Not anymore share um, attribute tax rate um, or sharing taxing rights between member states, but how about sharing revenue and then share the revenue between member states? Here have this one-stop shop. These are the issues which concern the, the mitigation of double taxation. And then we also want to address certain issues which are simply obstacles. These are issues which are not per se against EU law, so they are in principle compatible. So it, they do not fall within the competence of the European Union, but they make the life of taxpayers simply more burdensome. Just to give you some examples, we have got the issue of certificates of residence. This is an ongoing problem. Citizens of a member state come up with a certificate of residence and another member state tax administration does not recognize it because it's not the same language, because it's not the same form. And we always run into the same issue, easy problems or practical issues which can't be solved, but for the citizen are a real burden. We are thinking, for instance, of, of having pre-filled declarations. For some member states, this is a very easy thing. The tax administrations has all data, so sent the declarations to the citizens already pre-filled, this will already make life easier. Why not to do this? We have seen good impact for the citizen trying to build up a certain relationship between taxpayer and tax administration and simply to make the life easier. There's also the question now, going back to Nina's thing, we have been thinking on the proposal of the expert group of some kind of European Ombudsman for Taxation. This is a very far-reaching idea which goes beyond the recommendation right now, but we have seen up to now the very strong appetite in the community that we should have some kind or should redevelop the European Taxpayers' Code. Going back to the question on the recommendation, this will be a very, probably very short paper pointing out these issues. Of course, it's a recommendation. It is something non-binding. Member states can listen to it. Hopefully, we'll take the recommendations on board, but we have got no possibility. There's no obligation for member states to adopt these recommendations, unfortunately. So, so Kieran, it sounds like it, it, it'll be very uh, useful, this for sort of sparking the debate and putting this, this whole issue center stage. But it also sounds like we'll need to do more 
in Ireland if we want some change? Would that be is this the opportunity to do something? Do you think? Yes, this is. This, I mean, debates like this will spark. I hope further debates and hopefully action. There's no doubt when you look at the system that we have. We do have certain systems in place at the moment. I mean, we do have an ombudsman. We do have certain review procedures within revenue at the moment. But the existing systems just don't work. The take-up on those systems that we have is, you know, it's really, really poor. And certainly myself and other tax advisors, you, you really wouldn't think of using the systems because the systems can't actually decide on the unfairness that arises in the areas, and I keep repeating them, but they're very good examples of the areas I'm referring to, interest, sort of late penalties and outside penalties and, and time limits. You know, they're, they're, they're the real issues that keep coming up again and again. We did a survey about two years ago in the Institute of Tax, and 98% of those that completed the survey said some system was was needed on the imposition of interest charges in certain cases because the interest charges imposed at 8% or 10%, that's penal. And I'm not for a second advocating that the revenue get used as an alternative to a bank. That's not what we're saying. But there are situations where something that might drift on for four or five years, not at the fault of the taxpayer, suddenly they're faced with an interest bill which is 40% to 48% or higher of their tax bill because revenue didn't deal with something for a couple of years. They're the types of unfairnesses in the system that we would like to see addressed. I, I think these debates, I think listening to Nina, the, the sort of the EU Commission proposal, you know, a European ombudsman, you know, all of those things I think are really good. I do think, however that the solution here from an Irish point of view is that it, there has to be some domestic solution. And I think while you can lean on the European, I think we need to come up with a, what is the right system for us. Because there is one point, and, and, and I think everybody has touched on this, the cost of actually going and sort of addressing your rights is really important. I mean, I don't think it's fair that somebody should have to come to the likes of me and pay me a lot of money to have their rights addressed. That, that's not fair. That, that shouldn't exist in any system. So what you want is you want something, and I don't know exactly what it is yet, by the way, but you want something where somebody can go with confidence in a very low-cost way, and if there's an unfairness or the system is treating them in an unfair way, that it, that it gets addressed. And, and, and they're all the, the things we're looking for to feature in the system going forward. You know, Samantha, one of the things in our system, one of the eligibility criteria to seek the assistance of the Taxpayer Advocate Service is the actual cost of representation. You know, you may have in US dollars a liability that might be 2000 and you don't 2000 dollars and you don't think you owe it but it might cost you 4000 dollars in representation fees while you're sitting while the representative is sitting on the phone writing letters not getting a response and so there in those instances you know congress recognized that that was an issue that would warrant coming to the taxpayer advocate service and that's where you know about 30% of our cases included you know p taxpayers were actually represented but they just couldn't justify all of the hours 
just trying to get something done, or maybe they had invested all those hours and they still couldn't get it to the right person in the agency. And, you know, you're at a point where the taxpayer is going to give up and pay the tax they don't owe rather than getting the issue resolved. And that paying tax you don't owe is a sure way of converting compliant taxpayers into resentful and maybe even non-compliant taxpayers who do a little loss repair going forward for the fact that they had to pay something they didn't believe they owed. So there's a role for the advocate or whatever system you put up for helping the those even who are represented, but they're just so dragged out. Okay, well, look, just as a last question to you all, and we have covered this to some extent, but just if I ask each of you individually, what are the key attributes of a tax system that's fair to the taxpayer, but also efficient in collecting tax? Just some final thoughts. Albert? Yeah, um, well, um, maybe let's, uh, let me start from, from a German point of view. Well, I'm German, and German tax system tries to address each taxpayer in his individual situation, whether he's married, whether he's children, whether he has children in university, whatsoever. And here the tax system per se is very difficult. It tries to be fair, but creating fairness in this case is very difficult. Now, if you take a view on the American system, Nina may, may, may correct me if it's correct or not. Um, here you, 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 you uh, have a different system because it's self-declaratory, so the taxpayer has to prepare his tax declaration himself, has to calculate his own tax bill. And here they try work with many standardization. So as long as you fit into this picture, you're fine. But whenever you've got certain particularities, which is not common, you fall out of it. So here you've got the German way and the American way. Which one is better? I don't know. I don't know. It depends from, from politics. Huh? And Nina? Well, I think on, based on what Albert said, I think in the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, the number 10 right is the right to a fair and just tax system. And that is described by, in the language, as, you know, the, uh, the agency must look at the specific facts and circumstances of the taxpayer in determining their ability to pay, their ability to file, you know, and when it's trying to collect from it. And I think that that's that tension and that balance. A fair and just tax agency may have to come up with standardization rules based on its design. But when you're dealing with taxpayers on a one-to-one basis, and maybe those rules work for 99% of the cases, but when you're dealing with those taxpayers on a one-to-one basis, you need to look at their specific facts and circumstances. And when you're dealing with groups of taxpayers, if you have a tax that's going to be imposed on U.S. citizens abroad or non-residents of the United States, you better look at their facts and circumstances as a group. Are you giving them access to the agency by email? No, the answer is in the United States. You know, is there a toll-free phone number? No, the answer is in the United States. And that means you're not paying attention to their circumstances, even as a group. So if you really gave meaning to that last right, you would approach it differently. 
last word then to you here in fairness, a tax system that was fair to everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling when you ask the question of, of what are the attributes of a fair system because the vast majority of taxpayers will tell you the amount of tax they pay is too high and the system isn't fair. So I'm not sure when you talk to taxpayers you ever get a, a, a real sense of what's fair from their point of view. But the system in Ireland works because we have a very high compliance rate. So some, something is working in Ireland. I think a lot of things are working in Ireland. The piece that isn't working right now is just that place to go to where something either within the system that needs to be dealt with by government or something that needs to be dealt with by revenue, that that is not there in the system today. And I think that is just, that is something that is missing. And, and I think that will only happen over a period of time. And it'll have to be something that taxpayers will recognise that there's a place that they can go if they feel they're not being treated fairly or if they think something is unfair to them. And if they got somebody who is independent and is seen to be independent and acts independent from everybody and, and they get a fair hearing from that body or person or whoever it may be, then I think that would be a very good day's work. OK, so we leave it there. Thanks to all of you for joining me today and thank you very much for listening. That's it for this episode of Tax Talk. Tax Talk.